Hi, and welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. And today we have as our guest Ross, the creator of Avarice RPG uh, from DefyDanger.com. How you doing, Ross? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Thanks for coming on. Ross, why and when did you come to Dwarf Fortress? So I've been aware of Dwarf Fortress for many, many years. I have a friend, uh, Stephen, who I've known for a long while, who's a big fan of Dwarf Fortress and has been playing Dwarf Fortress for I don't even know how long. So I've always kind of like known about it in the periphery for like as long as I can remember, really. And I tried, I remember maybe 2010, I try, maybe maybe a little bit after that, but trying to download it and playing it. And, you know, it's the typical kind of experience that people have. They just see the wall of ASCII text and they're like, what is this? I can't figure out anything. And like, I, I remember at the time, like I went through the whole world generation process and I set up a site and I was so proud I could get that far. And then like, and then you're actually playing the game. You're like, uh, I can't figure out anything. Um, so I just put it down, and then it was probably in 2016, I ran into Death Tactics YouTube videos. Where, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those. where he plays Dwarf Fortress, and I was like, oh, okay, and he's using a tile set and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, I totally understand what's going on now. This is top-down. <laughs> uh, and, and I started figuring things out, and then he has like a whole series on like, like just tutorials and it's i don't know like 60 videos long or some craziness like that where he goes through like almost everything possible in the game and so i would just like have that on in the background while it's cooking dinner and things like that and i eventually was thinking like and, and that eventually just like, got me into it i was like oh okay now i can really like get into this and play this and then you know just that's that's where i've been so i've been playing like on and off since seriously since 2016. What was the name of that uh, that YouTube channel that you mentioned? Dastactic, D-A-S-T-A-C-T-I-C. I'll uh, put a link on there. He's he's right. good stuff. Um, that I I used that a lot early on. He's really cool. Got a really laid back style. Like doesn't edit out his mistakes. You know, I think there's one where he's building a well or something, and then he accidentally floods the shaft, and he's like, oh. Uh, just a sec. Let me uh, go fix that, and then yeah. you know, and you kind of just you kind of get that sense that you sort of roll with the punches and that's what I liked about it. Pretty cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot, like a lot of his videos, he's like that kind of thing where he's kind of like, he makes a mistake or something goes like not quite as planned. And he just shows you how to roll with the punches and be like, well, there's a dragon now. So we're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> it also cracks me up because he has the, I think it's the mod sound sense going on in the yeah. background. And so that, I don't know if you guys have ever used it, but it's kind of a, kind of a funny thing i mean it's kind of cool the idea but anytime the dwarves are sparring or anytime anybody drops a cup or whatever it sounds like there's a fight going on so there's quite a few times in the in the videos and he's like oh no something's out nope they're just sparring you know so like it just kind of cracks me up because i don't think of the game at all as having sound because i play it silently but um but yeah it's kind of cool to hear you know just how that mod works if you're ever curious about sound sense I do play with sound sense myself. I really like it. An interesting thing about that, the voices of the dwarves is voiced by, you know, and I'm, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember which one it was. It's either Capintastic or Rainseeker. I think it's Rainseeker, but uh, they were both Capintastic and Rainseeker were on the original Dwarf Fortress talk podcast. And 
one of them had a stereotypical Scottish accent. You know what? We have talked about this before, and I think it was on episode one before uh, before Tony was around. Remember that, Roland? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It sounds familiar. Is so, that Captain like Crunch or Captain like Captain like Kirk? That's C A P N T A S. So it's like the cereal. Okay, it's the yeah. Okay, breakfast breakfast Captain. Gotcha. Yeah, you look up both Rainseeker and Captain Tastic on the on the uh, Bay Twelve forums, and you'll you'll find plenty of posts from them. Right on. That was just a to say that yeah, I, I use SoundSense. I really love it. I love the stereotypical Scottish dwarf accents. Yeah, what else would they sound like? It seems reasonable to me. I figured Tarn should talk like that. And I was really surprised <laughs> to hear he was American. So I was like, oh, okay. I have some friends who, are, who live in Glasgow, and um, they get really annoyed when I do when we play D&D, and I do like the Scottish accent for the dwarves, because they're like, what are you, why are you doing that? Like, like it's kind of like, it gets on their nerves sometimes, because like, everyone talks like that around, <laughs> around where they are, and then to hear me do it and like butcher their accent, they just like, they get annoyed. Well, you got to go for more of the California Valley sound. Yeah, the yeah, that's the words they want. Yeah. What you have to do, Ross, to really annoy them is to get a uh, recording of James doing doing Scotty on Star Trek: The Original Series and play that back to them and say, "This is real Scottish." That's the classic. I think, you, but you want to stay friends with these guys, right? <laughs> In theory. <laughs> okay, right. So then, yeah. So <laughs> at your own discretion, then. So Ross, you uh, you say you play D and D. Was was that the inspiration to come up with an RPG? Yeah. So I definitely like I have two big loves in my life right now in terms of my media, and that's like role playing games and playing Dwarf Fortress. And I kind of like got to a point where I really wanted to share that kind of like like passion for Dwarf Fortress with all my role playing game friends. And you know how it is. Like there's a there's a big learning curve to playing Dwarf Fortress and there's a big hurdle just like getting new people into it and getting them to like really understand like why we play this like all the really awesome things and getting getting past the assy and getting past the tediousness um, and at the end of the day you know it's just like like Krug Smash says it's all about like the stories that you kind of pull out of these games so I wanted to create a new RPG that would tell the tales of these Dwarf Fortress stories in the span of like three-ish hours and be easily accessible to people who had never played Dwarf Fortress before and who would just, who would just like jump right into it. So that's, that's how Avarice, but I was like the inspiration to Avarice. So you want Avarice to be a gateway drug to Dwarf Fortress where someone plays the RPG and goes, this sounds cool. And then you go, Hey, there's, this is based on the game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, if you like this fun little fast game, Wait till we get to the next level where you can start deciding like exactly what outfits your military is wearing, and you know, like let's 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 get into this and let's let's show, oh, let me show you where this is really coming from. I am intrigued by the fact that you put Jenga in as a game mechanic. I thought, yeah, was- yeah. So I've been like noodling with this this concept for years now, and at first I started, and I definitely wanted to have it as okay. It's, this isn't a traditional D and D style. Uh, RPG where you're you're representing individual characters. This is where you're representing like entire clans or sections of the fortress. Like you're controlling a, a, a populace, not just one or two people. I started the design with like a very like focusing on the nitty gritty details and a lot of the to be to, 
no other way to put it, like the tediousness of some of the Dwarf Fortress stuff. I was like, okay, right. you know, you need to dig out stone and that gets you rock and then you use that rock to build uh, a workshop and blah, blah, blah. And there's still like a little bits of that in, in Everest now, but um, I moved away from the tediousness and like the the keeping track of individual things. I moved away from that and to made it much more abstract. So, you know, when you play Dwarf Fortress, you have a computer keeping track of all this like little stuff. And Dwarf Fortress is so amazing. One of the reasons why it's so amazing is because it really utilizes the power of an electronic processor in your computer to be able to track the details, like the really, really deep details on all these thousands and thousands of objects. So when I created Everest, I wanted to create something much more abstract. Um, and really get to the heart and, and, and uh, the emotional experience of Dwarf Fortress. And one of that emotional experiences is the fact that like you can never win Dwarf Fortress. Like the best you can ever do is just like coast for a while and eventually every single fortress falls. So with that in mind, this idea that every single fortress is eventually going to collapse one way or another, that lends itself to the Jenga Tower mechanic. So the Jenga Tower mechanic has been used in other RPGs like a lot of like small indie stuff, probably the biggest one that uses it is called Dread. So I use that as a, the Jenga Tower represents the dwarf's mental health, happiness, and stress levels. So it always, you're always getting like going further and further and getting worse and worse at this. Um, and also, you know, Dwarf uh, Avarice is also a drinking game. So you take, you take, you don't have to drink, but everyone does. Uh, you take drinks every so often in the games when certain things happen. And so you're now playing, by the end of it, you're playing drunk Jenga. So the stress level, like personally felt by everyone around the table is like really high and everyone gets really emotionally invested in this. And it's a, it's a really fun time. <laughs> Although I am a mellow drunk. So my, uh, what would probably happen with me is I'd be that dwarf that just wants to sit down and lean his back against the wall and have another drink and, just sit there and eventually die of dehydration. Cool. <laughs> you'll just, or you'll just end up making soap. That could be your, that could be your avarice experience. Just turning into a big soap factory. <laughs> One of the core things about avarice is like, it's a, sh you, you build a shared picture of your fortress. It's all in like, instead of like, so door fortress is a plan view is a like overhead. And so avarice is a section elevation cutaway kind of view. So you draw out your fortress and you kind of like pass it around the table and everyone draws on little things. As the game progresses, you add more like, oh, I built this workshop and you draw it out and stuff like that. So that would be really cool to, to post that up onto like Reddit or your, your forums and stuff like that and say like, here's the fortress I made. Mm -hmm. Do you have a history of, of making RPGs? Like, I mean, are you, is this, is this kind of a thing or is this something that was inspired by Dwarf Fortress and you thought hey, you know, let's let's give this a try. I, I, I mean, I've made a handful of, like, little tiny indie kind of RPGs and stuff like that, and a couple of, like, D&D &D adventures and stuff like that that are that are available on drive-thru. A lot of them are free. Um, Avarice is pay what you want, so that is, like, if you want it to be free, go right ahead. That's fine with me. Um, and, yeah, so I have, like, I've been doing this for, yeah, for a while now. I have, like, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, one of the big things that I just wrapped up was... We had a Kickstarter that's now out in the public uh, for consumption, which is called Fifth Edition Team Deathmatch. So it's like D and D, but it's four v four team based, like PvP kind of stuff. 
and the big like selling point is it has all these different like uh, it's not just like okay you stand up and you like fight each other and just like roll to see who can win like there's a lot of tactics to it because of every there's 21 different arenas that have all sorts of different kind of terrain effects that are like really over the top crazy and you have to use those to your advantage to, to beat your enemies so yeah hmm So Ross, in your uh, in Avarice, there is artwork that is done in the uh, distinct style of Krug Smash. Uh, uh, so how did you get with Krug Smash to to get him to do the art for it? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of Avarice was inspired by stuff that Krug Smash does on his channel, where he's taking the you know the the, the heart and the emotion of Dwarf Fortress, and he's drawing something out to show you those stories. And that just aligned with my vision of what I wanted for my RPG so much. I said, oh man, I've got to get in touch with him. So he is super easy accessible. So I just, <laughs> I just went to his website. Uh, he has, you know, he has his own website besides the YouTube channel and he has his contact information on there. And I got in touch with him and I said, Hey man, I'm making this RPG. Uh, it's going to be, it's really, it's indie small press. Like it, it, it's not a lot of like money here or anything like that, but it's, it's a personal personal passion project and I would love to be able to use your artwork that you have to be able to do this and I kind of gave him like a rundown of how the RPG rules work and that sort of thing and he was totally on board like right away very very cool and very easy to work with um, and then I used he just sent me all of the saved scanned images that he had at the time and he had a lot of those up on his website anyway and so he said hey use all these and then I, uh, I needed one new image. So I needed an image to represent a Fisher Dwarf. And, uh, and so he, he, he made that for me for the game. And then otherwise I was just like, cool, man, I'm just going to use your stuff. And then he gets, uh, he gets a, a portion of all the royalties. So it's like, it's split evenly between me, him and, um, Toadie. Cool. Hmm. Cool. Oh, that's nice. So you're, uh, so you're splitting the, uh, any proceeds you get from it with a oh, Toadie one too. Yeah. 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 That's and, pretty cool. And they both were like so nice about it. They're like, "Ah, you really don't need to do that." And I said, "No, I do. Like, I like, I feel like I couldn't not do that, and I feel like I couldn't not. I couldn't make this a game that I charged any amount of money for and had to charge. Like, it had to be the pay what you want because, like, that's part of the whole community of Dwarf Fortress, and that's a that's a, I feel like that's a real core part of it, and something that I really admire is that if you don't, if you want to just grab Dwarf Fortress and pay no money and just like try it out and stuff like that. That is 100% cool. And you never have to send them a dollar in. And Tony's able to like, you know, live off of just the, uh, the voluntary donations. And I wanted this to follow a similar kind of model. Yeah, that's great. And whenever I got over to drive through RPG and I saw that it was the, uh, pay what you think it's worth model. I was, I was quite impressed. I, I was, uh, happy to see that you did it that way. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up on here because I didn't know if you wanted to publicize that, but you said it. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, yeah. And we just this week were got the final proofs for the physical copies of everything. So pay what you, you can pay zero dollars to get PDFs of everything and just print it on your own. Uh, but then if you want to, you can do print on demand and buy the cards and the physical rule book. Uh, and that you need to pay a minimum amount of money just to cover the printing costs. But right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And how long does it take to learn this? I mean, is it something that 
you hey, know, Rob, somebody hey. could just kind of pick up and go, or do you have to do you have to know Door Forgers, or do you have to know how to play RPGs or anything? So I have run this a great many times, and uh, so I would run this five times, and out of all that, there was, and each time had like three to five players, and out of so we're talking about like something like twenty players. Out of that one player in one game, new Dwarf Fortress. So it was it was like all my playtesting and stuff like that. It was all with like people who had no idea what they knew what knew what Dwarf Fortress was, but they really didn't know Dwarf Fortress at all. Uh, and none of them had read the rules beforehand. I was just like, I just showed up and I was like, hey, here we go. Just run like I'll run through the rules like in like ten minutes real quick and just kind of like do it. It's pretty intuitive as to what you do. Um, so the the, big, the the game starts off with like an embark phase as you would think, where you go through a series of questions that are presented in the book uh, about what your purpose is uh, to go out on this expedition, like why the mountain homes are sending you out away from civilization to start this new fortress, what kind of hazards are there, what kind of uh, valuable resources are out there, what kind of enemies are out there. Uh, It talks about uh, the, you roll randomly to generate your clan and what kind of things they like. So, for example, you know, some dwarves really like uh, goblins for their hideous features, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, dwarves, have, dwarves have different affinities towards metals and symbols and the gods. And so that's all like randomly generated. So you kind of go through that process. When you answer these questions about the terrain and the surrounding environments, you answer that and draw it out on the map and kind of like pass it around. So that's like the first phase. And then after that, you get into the game proper where every clan has a set of skills uh, and these all match up with like the Dwarf Fortress skills. So there's Fisher Dwarf, Craft Dwarf. Um, There's 13 skills. The 13th is Alchemy, which is a secret unlockable. Um, And you kind of, you just, you describe generally what your clan of dwarves does to help out the fortress or to put down some sort of hazard that's afflicting you. <clears throat> and you gather up a bunch of 12-sided dice and you roll them and you take the highest one and then there's a range of effects. So if you roll six or lower, you don't do what you're trying to accomplish and something bad happens. It's a draw from a random uh, pile of cards. If you roll seven to 11, you do what you want, but you also are stressed out by it. So you have to take a drink and make a pull from the Jenga tower. And then a roll of 12, if the highest die you roll is 12, then you, you do it with no ill effect. And once, whenever you do stuff, you draw out the effects and kind of pass it around. Every uh, so many players' turns, you draw from this, this deck of events. And then that kind of tells you like a new dangerous thing that's happened, a usually dangerous thing that's happened. So, for example, one of the deck of events is a vampire comes up into your fortress and all the dwarves are terrified or uh the crops fail this season and then you have to plant new crops or everyone goes hungry or uh the dwarves get sick and tired of drinking the same old elven wine and immediately become sober which is the worst thing that could possibly happen in the game (laughs) (laughs) that kind of goes along with with a subject matter that we've touched on the last couple episodes and it's uh, about emergent gameplay and the uh, and the the hidden complexities that is just beneath the surface of the uh, of the you know in your face ASCII gameplay of Dwarf Fortress. But yeah, the episode we dropped today, uh, it was pretty much all about the uh, the subject matter of of oh that's great 
slightly hidden complexity. Yeah, yeah. Emergence, the emergent gameplay aspect of Dwarf Fortress is definitely a big part of this too. And when you're in a room, like when you're playing Dwarf Fortress on your own, you kind of like pick up some of that stuff, and you kind of have like you mentally create this picture of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, but when you're in a room with like three to five other people who are all investing their time and their creativity into one shared, like basically arts and crafts project, like that emergent gameplay is really heightened because then you put out something into the group and then other people will pick up on it where they'll add to it on their own. They'll get inspired by what you say and vice versa. And it really creates, like by the end of it, every single time I've run this, by the end of it, everyone is like so happy and so thrilled. And like, it's this really like, like team building bonding experience. Also, everyone's drunk. Yeah. So it's a real I, fort, a fortress experience. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, camaraderie through shared suffering, right? Everyone goes through this fortress and puts their heart and soul into it and then just collapses into, into nothingness and just is ruined. And then everyone's like, oh, man, we, we survived that and we shared that together. So, yeah, yeah. So did you guys get a sense from uh, Toadie's post that things could take a little longer or were you looking at it um, as more of a like, wow, I hadn't realized how far along things were? Uh, with the, the villains progression? like from, Yeah, just the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. From my perspective, at least, it seemed like it, it, it better spelled out exactly what he was trying to accomplish with the villains and plot lines. Like I didn't, like I knew the villains and plot lines was the thing he was working on. And that was the next thing that was coming out. Um, but I didn't understand like the depth of what he was talking about. And then posting when he posted out like, Oh, okay. We have this uh, villain and he got kicked out of this village and he's really good at what, like trap smithing or something like that, or making me mechanisms. I, I kind of forget. Um, like and like going through that whole chain of history events, I was like, "Oh, okay, now I understand what you're trying to accomplish here." I thought that was pretty cool. Is this the uh, the story of Ustuf? <laughs> let me let me, uh, let me add not... a little bit of context to that. Then <laughs> sure, yes. So that on was the Bay Twelve, <laughs> on the Bay Twelve games, uh, I'm assuming that you all are talking about the dev notes on Steam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. So on the Bay 12 Games dev notes that was published on the 12th of June, uh, he goes through and talks about a, a complete plot. That it was the first complete plot that was pulled off by the system. And he goes through and gives a, the narrative that is behind yes, that plot. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. And the, but the main character of the, uh, of the plot, it looks like, is a dwarf called Ustoth. So we're talking about the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the same thing. That's the one. Okay, cool, cool. So he's he's cross-posting the uh, the dev notes, which is great, right? Yeah, that's super. Yeah, so I can go to I can keep going to the Dwarf Fortress uh, Bay Twelve Games forum because uh, it has such an incredibly awesome background. I was going to bring up the fact that the that uh, that elves aren't explicitly the bad guys, but the behavior and relationships that tend to form between the elves and, and our lovable dwarves tend to be a little more adversarial, a little shorter. They mm -hmm. do seem to be a little, a little bit snobby without oh, yeah. much reason. Whenever you look at their behavior, right? So someone mentioned that even Tarn Adams didn't know what the deal was with the elves, which is 
surprising if you think about it at first, because he's the one who programmed all of it. But then if you take a look and step back, perhaps that's just how the elves ended up evolving through the emergent gameplay. When you take the characteristics that, that the game engine has about elves, maybe they're just a naturally, but unintentionally repulsive species. Right. And like, I was thinking of this too, like the goblins at least will bring you copper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can do something with it. Yeah. Elves just, it's just trash. What am I supposed to do with this stuff? Uh, Sword. Great. By the way, I liked how you said naturally repulsive species. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get that. I really do. The elves do bring one thing whenever they bring their caravans in. They tend to bring elven wine, and I tend to buy all of that that I can get. Oh, yeah. Is that like uh, It's like a white wine spritzer, I bet you. Zinfandel. Yeah, something super fruity, maybe with a, you know, like a plastic bottle and a screw top. That's elven wine. You know what I think what it is? I think it's a giant barrel full of LSD. <laughs> hey, this is elven wine 25. <laughs> in uh, in Avarice, I have a little like section on all the different kinds of civilizations that you can encounter. And if you guys wouldn't mind, and you can cut this out if you think it's like a total non sequitur. Uh, let me read from you uh, from what I wrote about elves. Elves are foul, arrogant, tree-fundling hippies dedicated, <laughs> oh. dedicated to the ruthless protection of their misguided concept of nature. They are obsessed with trees and other worthless vegetation. Elven men are incapable of growing facial hair, which is yet another indicator of their duplicitousness. When a player speaks of elves, they must do so in an angry, accusatory fashion. Dwarves who like elves are called traitors. <laughs> I love it. Because like, yeah, yeah. like, like goblins, they'll bring you copper. Uh, you have to kill them first, but they'll bring you copper. Uh, they like to party. They're fun to look at, right? Like there's something there. Elves. They're poets. Yeah. They are. I've poets. had some great, great goblin poets in my Absolutely. fort. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I'm all for that. I loved it. I love when I get the goblin traders in. Somehow, it just it just feels better somehow if I can convert them over to the dwarven ways, get them in the fort and having a good time, get them liquored up and put a pen in their hand, and the next thing you know, it's ode to the mountain homes, goblin style. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're trying to get information out of them on how to navigate their their rat holes so that you can kill all of them. I just feel like if they're the type that wants to write poems and get drunk, they're probably not going to have been too clued in on the overall goblin strategy. But uh, yeah, that's just me. Right. Yeah. Like I kind of see goblins as like, you know, their heart's in the right place and then their, their demonic overlords are really the problem. So yeah, you want to raise their cities and destroy their overlords, but that's to free the goblins and let them experience the true dwarfiness of the mountain groups. Yeah, what if all this time goblins really weren't acting of their own free will and it was just these demons that have taken over the base? Because that's something I just really kind of made sense of was, you know, this goblin force that I kept attacking had a population of like 10, but then every single squad I'd send at it would be absolutely decimated because there was a hedgehog man monster. And, and that I think that that was like some sort of a demon or whatever that was yeah. just the consumer of Dorvan everything. So... Yeah, like what if what if these poor things are just 
was trapped all this time and really all their nature, natural, true nature is they just want to write poems and get drunk. Um, and here we are punishing them and melting down their armor. I don't know, man. It's complexity. I tell you. There's a lot of morality in Dwarf Fortress. Morality. Yeah, I mean, what? Who, now? who am I really at the end of the day? Okay. That's um, I, and I, I think that's one of the things that we touched on maybe in another episode is just trying to get people into the game. And one of the things that's, I, I don't know if I call it a pet peeve, but maybe it sort of is, is articles that, you know, they spend the first 30 minutes of the article talking about how hard the game is and how it's just so utterly impossible and impenetrable and, and you know, incomprehensible that no one could ever figure it out. But then, you know, the author says, but I figured it out and look at all the fun that I had and it's so great, but don't ever touch it because it's too hard. And I think there's such a strong pervasiveness of that that, you know, I've got friends that have played games that are so similar to this. And if they sat down and looked at, you know, like the, you know, that Paradexus Errant tutorial or whatever, and just sat with that for like 20 minutes, they'd be up and running. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like some of the writing and people talking about it's kind of just puts people off because it's not that complicated. It really isn't. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And there's layers of complexity, right? So like, Every time I play, or I should say, every time I start a new fortress, there's something new that I'm trying out and I'm trying to do better or trying to do differently. And, and so, like, for example, like the fortress I'm, in, I'm doing right now, I've just realized that when a dwarf wants to, quote unquote, wear something fancy, I think is what one of their thoughts is, like, I need to sew images and dye the cloth before I make clothes out of that. And that was like a big revelation to me. I was like, oh, okay, that's the next level. Like I'd already figured out how to replace clothing and how to, you know, and I'm long ago figured out how to grow food and all the basics and stuff like that. Um, but there's always like something new that you're trying, that you're uncovering. So it's just like, yes, it's super complicated, but it's only as complicated, like you, you learn the complication as you play. Yeah, I so, agree. It just builds on, you build on your layers. Yep. So this is something that I actually was thinking about as I was editing last week's podcast. And we, we also uh, on this, on this program fall into the, it's almost a trope. Yeah. The learning curve is high on Dwarf Fortress. I, I actually kind of want to make a drop of some sort to where anytime one of us says that there's a little ding oh, a little footnote that says, yeah. <laughs> says, while Dwarf Fortress may be complex, you do not need to learn the full Dwarf Fortress in order to enjoy the game. You can enjoy the game after 20 minutes worth of... <laughs> yeah, here, here. Some little thing that... To, because even even we who are trying to spread the game say things like, it's got a huge learning curve. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, makes people not want to try it in the first place. Every time someone mentions that Dwarf Fortress is challenging or has a steep learning curve, you've got to take a drink and then pull from the Jenga Tower. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We record at 9 a.m. my time zone, so that would change my lifestyle a little bit. But yeah, okay, sure, whatever. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. We'll be back next week with more of our interview with Ross. We'll talk about the animosity toward elves in Dwarf Fortress, Mef's Fortress Defense. We'll talk about the state of our fortresses and Kia's carrying wheelbarrows. We're going to wrap up here with, with contact information for Ross, and we'll see you next time. 
Ross, where can uh, where can you be found online? How do you want to be reached if our listeners would like to reach out to you and say howdy? Yeah, so all like like we said before, all like my products, as you would say, you can get at defydanger.com and then you can catch me uh, mostly on I'm on Reddit, uh, user Defy Danger, and then also on, on Twitter at C Stephen Ross. All right. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section of this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music is Sky Q. Ellen, composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.com. You can find a link in the show notes. This is a silver podcast. All Craft Dwarf Ship is of the highest quality. This podcast is adorned with hanging rings of silver.